Now, the Ian Jessup Show. Joining us as he does every month is Mark Stoiber, brand strategist, author, speaker, and entrepreneur. This month, we're going to talk about changing the face of work. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me again. You have so many uh, titles. Can't you hold a job? <laughs> I cannot hold a job. No, it, it's it's a bit discombobulating, i got to tell you, because I spent the majority of my grown-up life uh, working in a big company. And I, I made the jump out of the big company to run my own company. And from there, I made the jump to become a consultant. And it always seemed to be slightly uncomfortable. You know, it wasn't at a time when everybody was a consultant. Uh, I remember back in the day when I was working as a creative director in a big agency, freelancer was a dirty word. Freelancer yeah. were the guys that were too old or not good enough. But, um, you know, I did a, started doing a little bit of research because this came up on my radar. And what I discovered is very disconcerting. Uh, approximately 40% of the U.S. workforce is freelance or multi-jobbing right now. And, it, you know, that I don't know what exactly that tells me, but it does tell me one thing, that the old term freelance as a dirty word is going away. Well, I know a lot of young kids, uh, particularly those who go to university, have multiple jobs. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I go to the coffee shop down down the street here to Habit, and the, the, the kids have two jobs. Uh, someone works at, uh, at UVic and works for American Apparel. Yeah. And it, it's, it's And, you know, crazy. I mean, it's always been that way when you're young where you say, you know what, I'm going to be mowing lawns and doing a paper route and working for my dad in the summer. It's always been that way. But what we're finding now is after the last recession, the Great Recession, um, these companies, I, I read about this in a, a wonderful book by James Altucher, the, the uh, investor and, and author, about being invited up to his friend's uh, skyscraper office building. And the friend said, hey, look around here. It was downtown Manhattan. He said, what do you see? The, and James said, uh, well, I see uh, offices everywhere. He says, do you see anybody in the offices? And James said, no. He says, no, those are jobs that have gone away and they're never coming back. The companies are still there. But the people are gone, and they will never come back. And so what's happening is massive corporations are not getting, giving, putting their cash into human capital. What they're doing, they're shedding workers, outsourcing, doing tech, using tech to replace people, or bringing people in on uh, gig sort of contracts. And so what we're finding is people who are 30, 40, 50 years old, not just the millennials, who are suddenly out in the cold, and they're doing three or four or five different jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that corporations are, are doing and have been doing for, for decades now, and, and you mentioned it briefly, is that they're, they're outsourcing their manufacturing yes. to third world nations yes. where labor is cheap. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that is one of the problems that we fa manufacturing faces in North America is cheap labor. And also another problem that uh, we face is that corporations have all this capital that they can move around the world mm -hmm. and uh, uh, do so to avoid taxes. Yeah, of course. Now, there's not just that. I mean, they're also employing tech. You know, I work with many companies who have developed wonderful technology, fantastic technology, does jobs that humans do, but better. But what does that mean? And there's a great anecdote I read uh, in a, an article that just came out this month in the Atlantic Monthly. Um, it's called A World Without Work. And there's a little anecdote in that story about Henry Ford, the first Henry Ford. And he's touring a union rep 
through his factory, and he's just created some wonderful new gizmo, some robots to assemble the Model T Fords. It's way mm-hmm. back in the early 1900s. And, uh, and he poked the union rep in the ribs, and he said, see, these guys aren't going to be paying union wages. You're not going to be able to collect union dues from these guys, are you? And the union rep poked him right back, and he says, yeah, and who's going to buy your cars? Now you think about that. You know, I'm seeing a world now, too, where um, uh, people are working much, much more multiple jobs, they're working for a lot cheaper than they used to. Mm-hmm. One of, uh, you know, one, once you get your head in this, in, this, in this space and you start looking around how much of this is happening. I went, uh, you know, I work a lot with art directors and designers and uh, one of my clients needs a project designed and so I went to 99 Designs. Now I've heard nothing but bad things about the online design services, but... What's 99 Designs? 99 Designs is what they call a community marketplace. Back in the bad old days, three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, they started this thing called crowdsourcing. You have a problem, you put your message out to the crowd via the internet, mm-hmm. and people come back with solutions to your problems. And now that, that's okay if, if everybody's interested in solving your problem, but if nobody's really interested, if it's a boring problem, nobody's going to come back to you. So what they did, they created this thing called community marketplaces where they assembled experts in a field. So for example, what I was looking for was a top-notch designer. They assemble, they say, hey designers, cattle call, come and work for 99 designs. And what we're gonna do, we're gonna take clients and flow them towards you, and the clients can look at you. It's a bit like a Hollywood casting call, mm-hmm. and they can pick a designer out. Now, I'd heard before from people that they, that they did this. It was incredibly inexpensive. It was about two to $300 to get a great design done. However, the, the people that were working with these designers said they weren't getting what they wanted. The designers didn't come through. What I experienced, though, was these designers working with a good creative director can do absolutely stellar work. Now, the difference is that these guys are working, my designers, when I work with designers locally, mm-hmm. I pay them for a job, I'd pay them $1,000, 2000 that jobs that these guys were doing for $300, $200. Now, so who was making the money on this? Nobody's making the money. That's the whole thing. It's the old uh, union rep and Henry Ford thing. You know, yeah. hey, hey, mister, uh, these guys uh, aren't going to pay union dues. Yeah, but Henry, nobody's going to buy your car. So what we're seeing is a lot of people scrambling, doing a lot of jobs, trying to make ends meet, and uh, I don't know who's buying the Ford cars, you know? And I don't know if it's, it's, a sort of a, it's, a, it's a sort of a slow slide into people being very, very poor and then a few people being very, very rich, or, and this is something else mm-hmm. that I discovered, um, maybe we're moving more into a maker economy. Remember, we've, we've worked in cubicle land where big companies kept us artificially complacent. You know, we get our pension, we stay there all our life. It's a wonderful life if you don't get too bored. By the way, 70% yep. of people in North America hate their jobs. So the old way, don't be too nostalgic about it. No, it's interesting. But, I, I, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because any, every time you, you uh, read a number of polls that come out on, on job satisfaction, there's always this large number of people who like their job. And I think, what a crock. Mm-hmm. Most people don't like their job. Mm. And, no, I've, I've, read the, yeah. I've read the polls and it came out again. I've always heard it's about 60 to 80%. The Atlantic Monthly had a new poll yeah. in there. 70% of people hate their cubicle jobs. You know, yeah. uh, so there, this this uh, this trend towards freelance, towards a gig economy, like musicians gig, they go from you know engagement to engagement. Yeah. It does have it, its advantages. It keeps you perky, keeps you fresh and interested, but it's also very precarious. 
You know, it's a very precarious and way to get it's very your, stressful. It's a very stressful way of making your living. So this is, this is interesting. Now, uh, I, I said, you know, when you start looking into this thing, things uh, conspire in your favor. Uh, Etsy called me up. Etsy is worth uh, $196 million last year. Uh, they've been around 10 years. They've got 1.4 million active shops. That's people who are making everything from sweaters to jewelry or selling vintage stuff. These people are all making stuff. And the revenue expanded 56% in one year at Etsy. So what does that tell you? It tells so, you that people are making stuff. Just so, so people understand, Etsy is, is what? Uh, Etsy is a website, etsy.com, E-T-S-Y.com. <laughs> Go there, fantastic site. What you will see is like an incredible global economy of people making everything. And it's homemade stuff. It's like you're the biggest church bazaar you've ever seen in your life, except hmm. really good stuff. And uh, they're, they're going gangbusters. So uh, again, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I referred back and forth to a few articles, talked to a few people, and they said, yeah, well, that's what people are doing because just going from engagement to engagement is incredibly stressful. So they're saying, heck with this, I'm gonna make something and see if it sells. And suddenly, where does that take us? It takes us back 150 years to when, you know, I made a shirt, you made a pair of pants, we traded, yeah. we were happy people. By the way, you were a farmer, I was a farmer, I was a blacksmith, you were a baker. You know, it was, it was much more of a barter economy, not as stressful as going from service job to service job. But I found that fascinating that, that there is a, a thing like Etsy out there, then that it's growing like that. And then that took me to incubators. I, now, for folks who, out there who, who aren't aware what incubators are, there is an explosion happening around the world in, these, in, these, uh, in what's called incubation and acceleration. And what they do, they take companies, whether they're tech companies, biotech companies, sustainability companies, Joe Schmo companies, and these are people like you and me mm -hmm. who, are, who have an idea for a new thing, but we don't know because we've been raised in cubicle land they, they, we don't know how to turn it into a business. Mm -hmm. And they surround us with mentors and they help us find money and they force us to follow this idea through either to bury it and get rid of it because it's no good or to push it and make it successful. And I work a great deal with uh, Tectoria, which is a tech incubator out here in Victoria. But now I've also started working with Foresight, which is a clean tech incubator out of Vancouver. And these guys are going great guns. People are pushing ideas through there at an unprecedented pace. So you've got a maker economy, people doing macrame and vintage clothing. Mm -hmm. And then you've got an incubator uh, sector, which is growing like crazy, which is growing the next generation of Flickers and, uh, you know, um, uh, Microsofts for all I know, you know? Given your experience mm -hmm. and given what you've done in life, and if you had that knowledge and you were, say, 21 now, what would you do? If I was 21 right now, I would learn, first thing I would do is I would, I would get a trade. Uh, you know, I would, I, would, I would learn a trade so I could work with my hands if things, fell, if things got bad. I, this is the same thing my dad told me, so nothing's changed. And second, I would learn how to uh, do my own books. You know, I come from a creative line of work where I always had other people handling that stuff for me. Yeah. And if you could do your own accounting and if you can rely on your hands. And then also I would, I would give up on the idea of security. And I think this would come as no surprise to any 21-year-old. 20 year I don't think they have an idea of security anymore. I was in that weird transition generation as you were mm -hmm. uh, where my grandpa 
uh, was with one company his entire life, got a beautiful pension. My dad was with one company and then went on his own. And then I was with one company and then went on my own. Mm-hmm. And uh, But now I think that that whole concept of one company is is gone the way of the horse and buggy. Yeah, it's passe. So you wouldn't get into the business that you're, you're in now? Oh, God, no. No, no. What I mean, if, if the business that I'm in, if you're talking about what I was doing is advertising, I would yeah. never get into that again. In fact, what we're seeing is the implosion of advertising as we know it. Uh, the two largest ad groups in the world, Publicis and Omnicom, just merged together, and that's usually the final signs of the dinosaurs dying. Even though they're incredibly profitable, they're very good, but what they're doing, they're making money by coming together now, as opposed to doing great stuff. They're, they're amalgamating, and that's what they're earning their money doing. What we're seeing is it happened years ago. First, the media groups that made all the mm-hmm. money for ad agencies, they divested themselves and went on their own. Then what happens is the production companies, they divested themselves. Now the creatives are going off on their own, and the creatives are turning to innovation. You've got these two sides of the same coin. You've got marketing and innovation. Innovation, you invent new stuff. Marketing, you sell that stuff. And what we're seeing is that if the innovation is good enough, the marketing, especially in an age of Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and, and incredible you know, websites that you can build by yourself, you don't need ad agencies. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm building websites, I, and the truth is I don't know how to build a website. You know, I, I'd be interested to, to, to get your view. I didn't have a TV for several years, and uh, we now have one, and it's primarily so I could watch football. But when I see the ads on TV, I see so many ads that are so bad. It's garbage. And I think, how in the heck can a company spend literally probably millions yes. of dollars on an ad? And how can, it, how can they accept that as a product? Because it's bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know that. I have no experience in advertising. Mm. But as, as, a, as a viewer, if I know it's bad, then someone else must know it's bad. Mm-hmm. But why doesn't the company know it's bad? Oh, the company, uh, see, the hat that you wear as a consumer is not the hat that you wear as a marketing director. And that's always the funny part, because if more marketing directors took that hat off and put their consumer hat on, they'd go, oh my God, I'm so ashamed, I'm going to shoot myself. I can't run that piece of crap. But then they put the marketing director hat back on, and they go, I've got to hedge my bet, I might be offending somebody, I don't want to tick anybody off, we have to put these, these, these messages into it. And suddenly you've got this camel, you know, that's a committee committee version of a horse. You've got this camel running on Super Bowl TV, and you're going, that thing smells from 50 feet. It's awful. And what the marketing director could have approved, someone above him may have uh, yes. disapproved and changed it. Yes, yes. The, the, the boss's wife might be offended. Somebody yeah. out in focus group land might not have liked it. And so what it does, essentially, it takes your hat off, your consumer hat. And that, I, I believe, too, is this, this, this... Once a company gets to a certain size, you start to compromise. You stop taking risks. And that's why I do believe, as insecure and stressful as the maker or the uh, freelance economy is, there's a lot of small companies out there taking terrific risks and doing some very cool stuff, the sort of stuff that you don't see companies like Procter & Gamble making, you know? You talked earlier in the program about 70% of people hating their jobs. Mm -hmm. If you hate your job... What do you do? What do you do? Well, that you know, it's a very, very funny thing. You should tell, talk to me about that because another one of my clients is a company out of Paris, and they're called Praditus, uh, P-R-A-D-I-T-U-S. And what they do, uh, there is a very, very small minority of people who work for companies, upper management, and they get groomed. They get skills training. They get psychological assessments to make sure they're doing exactly what they want to do and they're most productive at it, mm-hmm. right? 
98% of us, however, don't get that. And so what happens? We get hired because we have a certain portfolio of stuff that we've done or a resume, and then our personality doesn't fit. We're unhappy with the job, but we're afraid to go to HR. Because if we go to HR and say, you know what, I'd like to develop in another direction personally, what does the HR person say? The HR person says, uh-oh, this guy's a runner. This guy's going to jump. He wants me to help them so that they can take a jump into the next job. Mm -hmm. And so people are afraid to say anything inside their corporation, so they just end up on this hamster wheel of unhappiness. Now, this Praditus is another tech company, and what they do, they do online personality and cultural assessments for people. So millennials who don't have a clue any way, which way, about what they're really good at. They just want to get a job, but they want to make sure they get a good job. Uh, there are people at that life transition. I've been in work for 10 years. I'm 30 years old. I hate this job. Even though at university, my mom and dad said I'd love it. I want to change. I'm 40, 50 years old. I've got a career behind me, but what I seem to think that I'm good at isn't what other people think I'm good at. So these are the three sort of scenarios that you see where online companies like this Praditas does assessments and says, you know, you'd probably be a lot happier doing this. And then they link you to other people who say, okay, I can find you a job here, here, or here. Uh, so a lot of us are really afraid mm -hmm. of going to HR because we see all around us the, the cubicle world is imploding and we're fearful. I mean, there's only so many government jobs to go around that, uh, for people who don't want to take a risk and, you know, live in a very precarious way. Mark, do you think uh, in, in uh, year, years ago, people uh, took a job because the money was good? Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people still do that today. But are younger people more interested in uh, a career that they like yes. as opposed to yes. finding something that pays well? Definitely, definitely. It used, to be, it used to be that we would take a job and it was an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. And then we would find our pleasure in other ways with our families. You know, we also didn't have to work as long. But you see the working hours in the United States going way, 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 way up. Canada's following suit. Uh, so people are living for their jobs, and they're more and more afraid of losing their jobs. So family life is going away. Personal life is going away. And uh, so you better be happy doing what you do because you don't have the nice other stuff that like your dad did or your grandpa did. So young people are saying, you know what, if I'm going to spend 60 hours or 70 hours a week at this, it better be something that I'm happy about. And that's why a lot of uh, young people uh, like technology. Yes. The, the, the tech industry seems to be the, the industry of the future because there's so much development going on there. There's so much innovation. Well, there's not just that, but they're nomads. Right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, uh, you know, you and I have talked about this before, but uh, I spent the better part of 2014 in Bali. And that convinced me that I wanted to find myself a way forward in the world that I could do from the beach. And you are seeing a lot of people who are 20 to 25 years old shifting like nomads. They'll go to this oasis and then this oasis and this oasis, and they'll move around the world. And all they have to do is program and code. You know, so it's, it's a wonderful way to, to, to work your way around the world. Plus, it's a very exciting atmosphere because everything is new. They're always on the edge of disaster, which makes it very exciting. They're bigger risk takers, I think, than, than yes. our generation or yes. generations before us. Well, I think we got lulled into the sense of um, security that, that if you did land a good job, that that job would take care of you. And fair enough. I mean, I'm a living example of this. You know, I'd walk into work, I would make something funny, and a paycheck would arrive at the end of the week. I didn't know where that paycheck came from, but it was a wonderful life. Of course, now, you know, there's a funny thing, and uh, everything kind of comes together and gels. Uh, I work every once in a while as a freelancer, one of my gigs, mm -hmm. uh, at ad agencies in Vancouver and Toronto. 
And I work for extremely good agencies, the best agencies. They're fantastic people. They're very cutting edge. And I go in there, and as soon as I walk in there, I am bored to tears because you're so used to being a hunting dog out there chasing for food, mm-hmm. you know, never knowing if you're going to starve or, or have a feast, that you get bored with the steady life, as terrible as it sounds, because every day you crave the steady paycheck, and then when you go into the steady job, you hate it. Yeah, there's a bit of an adrenaline rush, isn't there? There's a real adrenaline and, rush. And uh, it's not... Uh, I was reading an interesting article, and I'd be mm-hmm. interested in your thoughts on this uh, last week, about... Uh, being an entrepreneur, and it uh, it surveyed people in a number of countries around the world and asked them uh, which country, you know, were you afraid of being an entrepreneur? And the country with the most fearful reaction, of course, was Greece, <laughs> and understandably, <laughs> understandably, but Canada was you know was right around the middle. Uh-huh. Canada and the United States was was a bit lower. When you went out on your own, were you afraid? I was not afraid at all. Um, I had to learn to be afraid. When I, when I went out on my own, I thought it was a terrific idea and it sounded very sexy and cool. And then when I first understood that if I didn't kill it, I couldn't eat it, that's when I got afraid. You know, that, that for the first time it, 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 it dawned on you that if you, didn't, uh, if you didn't pull in the account, you didn't make that money, mm-hmm. you, couldn't, you couldn't spend that money. So I spent years, and I still do, I spent years terrified. And honestly, the only thing that eases the terror is talking to other entrepreneurs who go, oh, you got that too. I'm going, wait a minute, you're established, you're a millionaire, you still have that. And he goes, oh yeah, every night. And yeah. it, you just discover that it never goes away, and then what you do, you start to box it, you compartmentalize it so it doesn't run your life. You start to get, like my grandpa, to the place where you enjoy your family, where you enjoy your time off, and then when it comes time to work, you focus on the work and you let the fear in a little bit there, but you control it, you get better at controlling it. It never goes away though. That's what most people think, that if you're successful, if you're Richard Branson, you have no fear. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that's true. I think any entrepreneur has fear. No. Mark, good to talk to you again. Appreciate it's terrific you. talking yeah. to you. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, look to the future, and succeed.